Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Let's just go straight to John 3.18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I hope that you can easily see by that verse that there's a couple of ways in which condemnation is being looked at. If you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not condemned, and that justification, which is the opposite of condemnation, occurred before your belief, because it's a perfect tense believeth, and it's a present tense believeth, and a perfect tense is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, yet it says, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Well, if it says because, that makes it sound like not believing is the cause of the condemnation, but it said it is not the cause of the condemnation because he was condemned already, so that not believing is the evidence. It's the secondary, it's the indirect cause of condemnation, the evidence of condemnation Because the condemnation comes before not believing. It comes by Adam's sin and it comes by your sin. Condemnation is twofold in the Bible. Adam's sin in Eden and our own sins. Look at Romans chapter 5 with me. And our quizzers just memorized, some of our quizzers just memorized this chapter recently. I do not want you to forget the important doctrine of imputation. We can call it imputation because the Bible mentions that word. We can call it federal headship. The Bible doesn't mention that word. We can call it the doctrine of representation. We can call it the first Adam, but we can call it original sin. Even though that is a term used by the Catholic Church, I like the term original sin because it is the original sin of mankind, of a man, and it costs all of us because it's imputed to us. The verb impute in the Bible has three synonyms, count, account, and reckon. Count and account and reckon are three accounting or numerical terms applied to imputation where an accounting is made by charging one man's sin or righteousness to another. And the the work of Adam was imputed or counted, accounted, or reckoned to all of us And the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is counted, accounted, reckoned, or imputed to all those that are His. And that makes the difference. That's huge difference. That is salvation. As we read here in this extended passage, though I just want a few verses. Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That combination of terms means that all men are sinners and all men will die because of one man's sin, that is Adam's. For until the law, sin was in the world. That's the law of Moses. There was 2,500 years between Adam and Moses. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. It can't be counted against a man when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses 
For 2,500 years, death reigned and killed every single person on this planet. Even though Methuselah did live to be 969, he did die in the year of the flood. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Death reigned even though there was not a law given for 2,500 years like Adam had been given and like Moses delivered from Mount Sinai. So for 2,500 years, even over them that had not sinned by breaking a specific commandment, we understand infants. Thus, I ask the painful question, why do babies die? We have an answer. Those that even think about an age of accountability, I ask, why do babies die? If they're not accountable, why do they die? If they're incapable of a moral choice, why do they die? Because they're accountable for Adam's sin. We're condemned by Adam before we're even born. Because we're connected to Adam by the counsel of God. Then... The law comes along and we break it so we have our own sins. The sin of Adam and then the righteousness of Christ is followed in verses 12 through 19. These are some of the most wonderful verses about how we are saved. Verse 19 tells us, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. We were made sinners by the imputation, counting, accounting, or reckoning of God charging us with Adam's transgression in the Garden of Eden. That's how we became sinners, and that's how we die, and that's how we go to hell. That's called original sin. This is not depravity. The fact that we inherit a depraved nature from our parents and from Adam and Eve, that is something totally different. That is a vital consequence. That changes our nature so that we are rebel enemies against God actively, I am speaking of a legal consequence where we are legally charged, imputed, accounted, counted, or reckoned to be guilty of eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two different things. Do not get them confused. Call one total depravity. Call the other original sin, but don't mix them up because I want to, aggrav- I want to show the full breadth and depth and terribleness of how great sinners we are. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, the one, one disobeying, made many sinners. So, and listen, brethren, when you get into these adverbs in Romans chapter 5, and you've got that little as, and you've got that little so, in this precise manner. For as, in the way that Adam's singular sin made us all sinners, So, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. How are we made righteous? By the obedience of one. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, and his righteousness is imputed, counted, accounted, or reckoned, or charged to us. Glory to God. What a verse. I remember and I thank God when this verse came to me with understanding to realize how I am saved by the obedience of one. How many soul winners are there involved in Romans 5.19? There is one and only one, and he will get all the honor and all the glory and all the praise forever and ever in heaven. These verses are wonderful. 
Verse 20 introduces something that took place 2,500 years after Adam. Moreover, in case I didn't make you bad enough, that's what moreover means, in here, in case I didn't make you bad enough, the law entered, the law of Moses, 2,500 years after Adam, 1,500 years B.C., that the offense might abound, that the effect of Adam on you might be shown in all of its great depth and breadth and length and terribleness. The law entered that the offense might abound, that our wickedness might be shown by the law. Romans chapter 7 explains to us that the law was to show us the exceeding sinfulness of sin. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Back to John chapter 3 and verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Wait a minute. There's Adam. There's my sins. How does that work? If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe that God sent his son Jesus of Nazareth, who is his only begotten son, the God-man, that is the evidence. This text has already shown it to us in the first eight verses of John 3, that you've been born again. If you're born again, then God has lifted that curse from you. You have nothing to be laid to your charge because Jesus died to pay for all your sins. And we back up all the way into eternity where before the world began, we were chosen in Christ Jesus and made accepted in the beloved. And when you're accepted, you're not condemned. How do, you, how do I know if I'm condemned or not? He that believeth is not condemned. It doesn't say, he that believeth shall not be condemned, though that is also true. Here it says, he that believeth, present tense, is not condemned, perfect tense, meaning the condemnation was lifted prior. Now, I've got to share John 5.24 with you again, because it's got three phases in one verse. John 5.24. We'll get to it here someday. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is the Lord Jesus Christ preaching the same gospel, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Heareth, present tense. Believeth, present tense. What happens? What, what can we say about this person? Hath everlasting life. He is in possession of everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation in the great day of judgment, because he's going to be ruled righteous by Jesus Christ's sacrifice for him, but is past, perfect tense, from death unto life. He, he already is in possession of eternal life. He already has been passed. That's how we say the perfect tense today. Has been passed from death unto life. And when he stands before God in the judgment day, he shall not come into condemnation because our lawyer, our counselor, counselor, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who's the judge of all flesh. Amen. And how do we know that that's true of us? He that heareth and believeth. Do you hear the preaching of the gospel? Do you hear and believe the message that God sent his Son? Because it says he here in this 24th verse, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Do you believe that God sent his Son? Do you believe that the Son was sent? Do you believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God? John uses many different facets of our faith to identify complete faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. Back to John chapter 3. I love the doctrine of imputation. I want you to love that doctrine. Amen. 
Did you have to invite Adam into your life to be your sin representative so that you could go to hell? Brother, when I first heard it, went nuts. Isn't it wonderful? What if you never heard about Adam? Are there people in the world that have never heard about Adam? Are they still held accountable legally for what he did in the Garden of Eden? We'll get a baby into heaven faster than you can ever get him there with your age of accountability because I'll crush your age of accountability because I think by us even bringing the subject up means that a baby has died. Do you know what that means? That they were accountable for Adam in the Garden of Eden. But do you know how I can get a baby into heaven? The Lord Jesus Christ was accountable for that infant and undid the work of the first Adam by being the second Adam. From that, do I have to say that all babies go to heaven? Absolutely not. Why would I say that? Why do you think they deserve to? Because you think they're all innocent? David said himself that he was conceived in sin and iniquity and that the wicked go estranged as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Let's come back to John 3.18. We understand the verb tense is here to indicate a previous lifting of the condemnation. He that believeth is a present tense, and such a man is not condemned. A perfect tense stating prior deliverance. Remember, you read Acts 10 for reasons last night. Of a truth I perceive that in every nation he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Accepted because he fears and works righteousness or accepted and therefore he fears God and works righteousness because God has already accepted that Italian and regenerated him so that he feared God and worked righteousness by praying to God always and giving alms to the people, doing the very best he could with what light God had given him. His works were wrought in God and he was filled with true godliness and righteousness, though not understanding what he ought to do next. And so he needed Peter to tell him that there was something to do with water. And that was to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and not just the Lord Jehovah of the Jews. I love these verb tenses in the Bible. For you young people that are still learning your verb tenses, the, learn the perfect tense. There's past tense, present tense, future tense, but then there's past perfect, present perfect, and future perfect. That means there's six. Make sure the teacher explains all of them to you. It's pretty neat. I went to the most knowledgeable English person on the campus of Bob Jones University my first year down here in Greenville and showed him a few of these verses. I agree, I agree with the grammar, but I do not accept that doctrine. <laughs> Well, then how else are we to figure out the doctrine? These verb tenses are wonderful. Heareth, present. Believeth, present. Is born of God. Is born. Born is a past tense verb. You're passive, something caused you to be born again, and your is born, all we would say has been born. That's the way we word it today. And when they look up in their Greek New Testaments, when they look up in a Greek interlinear where it shows the English and then the Greek, it says has been. Right. You can look it up online. You know we have every, every tool that we ever wanted to have is now online in a Google search box. Just, just look up Greek interlinear New Testament and go to some of these passages and see. 
exactly what the sense is of these verb tenses. Because we're dealing with a clause that says, he that believeth is not condemned. The condemnation was lifted. It resulted in regeneration. Regeneration resulted in believing. That's the chain of events that's been taught so far in the Gospel of John. Faith in Jesus Christ proves a prior work of grace, including legal justification. Faith in Jesus Christ is the evidence or proof that a person's been justified. The order of salvation is election, justification, and then man's regeneration, and only then can you believe on the Son of God. Faith in Jesus Christ is the result of regeneration. Except a man be born again, he can't even see Jesus, let alone believe on him. And regeneration follows justification. John wrote showing faith is proving possession of life. Look at 336. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It doesn't say he that believeth gets it. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. 647. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You show me someone that's believing the gospel, they're already in possession of eternal life because they were given the possession of eternal life by regeneration when they were born again and given eternal life. Jesus said, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee. Notice, eternal life is given in order to know God and his son Jesus Christ. John 17 and verse 3. Yet there is a future salvation from condemnation like we saw in 524. If you hear and believe the gospel about the record God's given of his son Jesus Christ in the great day of judgment, you shall not be condemned in that final phase of salvation. I, I, I encourage you to learn the five phases of salvation from the eternal phase of election to the final phase of glorification that are taught so clearly in the Bible that we need to pull apart from time to time so that we rightly divide the word of truth. But in John 3.18, he that believeth not is condemned already. Condemnation's twofold and it's resting on everyone that doesn't believe. A person that does not believe shows the evidence and proof of condemnation on him. Why else wouldn't he believe? This is the ordinary and the general rule of the word of God. He is condemned already for Adam's sin and for his own sins. His lack of faith in God's son denies the evidence and proof of his justification. He that believeth not, present tense, is condemned, perfect tense. He's already under that condemnation. And in case you didn't know the verb tenses, the Holy Spirit added the word already. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Here's what happens. You meet an Arminian. And you say to the Arminian, I can't believe your doctrine that Jesus Christ died for all the sins of all men because then there wouldn't be anybody in hell. Well, John 3, 16, 17, and 18, and 36 teach that Jesus didn't die for the sin of unbelief. And so men go to hell and are condemned because of unbelief. That's how they get around being confronted with the fact that if Jesus paid for all the sins of all men, nobody can go to hell because they're not guilty of anything. And so they try to make the sin of unbelief a unique sin that gets people into hell. But here it says, he that doesn't believe is condemned already. 
And when we go over to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 to find out what kind of people go to hell, it says the unbelieving and the fearful and the abominable and the whoremongers and the idolaters and the blasphemers and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. So God doesn't make any distinction whatsoever between unbelief, between fear, between whoredom, idolatry, and other sins. Right. Let the word, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. This verse right here shows men are condemned already before unbelief. And this agrees with the rest of Scripture about Adam's sin and their own sins. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you see the stress that the Apostle John is putting on believing as the evidence and proof of our eternal life, which was his purpose? He stated that that was his purpose as to why he wrote. And so we see it here being emphasized repeatedly, in, starting in verse 15. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus will be lifted up in a Roman crucifixion death to guarantee the eternal life of any that believe, Jews or Gentiles. That's in 15. Same thing in 16. And then in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because belief is the evidence that you have passed from death unto life. And so John's purpose to increase your faith, to cause you to believe more, for greater assurance of eternal life is being fulfilled in verses like John 3.18 where he repeats it several different ways. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, that proves that faith is evidence because the condemnation is already there. The condemnation is not because he didn't believe. The condemnation is there. The evidence is not believing. Do you believe on the name of the Son of God right now? Faith without works is dead. Being alone. Thou hast faith without works? Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. We've got to have works backing up our faith. Faith in the Bible is not a momentary sinner's prayer. It's not a momentary decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. That might be a nice song that you sang in Joy Club, but it doesn't cut the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ properly. It's a life change. It's believing. It's living for Jesus Christ by believing in Him to change your whole life for Him, to be a disciple of His. It's not that little decision that you write down a date. Every day we should prove that we're believing on the name of the Son of God. Every day, we should have works proving our faith. That's what it means in the Bible. Did you read 1 John? Along with that belief that John emphasizes, he puts in there, we do righteousness, we do not sin, we love the brethren. Right all together. Because it all goes together. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to keep yourself from sin. Just the thought of his glory, the thought of what he did for you, is going to change you. And if it doesn't change you, then uh, you're evil, and uh, you don't really want to come to the light as we're about to read. God has given incredible witness of Jesus Christ, and only fools reject him. There are three earthly and three heavenly witnesses of Jesus Christ, according to 1 John 5, 6 through 8. There is the water, there is the blood, and there is the Spirit. The Spirit confirmed the identity of Jesus Christ, his entire ministry, by the miracles that he did, and he raised him from the dead. Jesus was raised by the power of the Spirit of holiness, 
Romans chapter 1, the first four verses. Water. When Jesus was baptized, God thundered from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When he died on the cross, the sun was darkened, the veil of the temple was rent, the centurion in charge of the crucifixion testified he was the Son of God. There were witnesses on earth. There are three witnesses in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The witness that God's given of his Son is greater than the witness of men. You believe anything that you you really believe that Christopher Columbus discovered America in 1482, riding in some little boat called the Santa Maria? Why do you believe that? Have you been? Were you there? Were you watching it on GPS? Why do you believe it? It's the witness of men. It's 500 years old. I say that Leif Erikson discovered this country. So what are you going to do about it? Joseph Smith and the Mormons believe the lost ten tribes of Israel discovered it and inhabited it long before Christopher Columbus got here. What are you going to do about that? God's given a witness of his son. Amen. And the witness of God is greater than the witness of men. And he that hath the... And if you go and read 1 John, and those are wonderful verses from verse 6 to verse 12, we have a witness within ourselves as well. And that witness is the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of us. Because there are three that bear record, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost inside of us sheds abroad the love of God and tells us that Jesus is his Son. You say, well, I haven't heard that message loudly from the inside. Then stop sinning and stop loving the world and flirting with it and embrace true holiness and and pure apostolic religion, and that voice will get much louder. Because the Holy Spirit is grieved and quenched in those that sin. Look at 2 Corinthians. You know 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. It says that Paul, when he preached, always triumphed in Christ. Because when he preached the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, if men did not believe his message, he triumphed because he was a sweet savour unto God. This is what it says. A sweet savour unto God of death unto death. And when someone believed and repented and changed their life, he was a sweet savour to God of life unto life. Paul did not bring death. Paul did not bring life, just like this verse teaches. God had already made that choice. We condemned ourselves in the Garden of Eden. God saved some, and it's manifested by how we respond to the gospel. Never was Paul the sweet savour to God of death unto life. He was the sweet savour of death unto death and life unto life, because only God gives eternal life. Right. And then he said, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. We are never going to change our message to multiply the multitude. Amen. We're just going to keep on preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. And those that are truly justified and born again will love the message, no matter how poorly presented. And they that are not but are reprobates and are not born again, it wouldn't matter what we tried to present to them. They're not going to believe it, and they're going to go away anyway. Jesus would say it wouldn't matter if a man rose from the dead and came back to warn the brothers of the rich man. They have Moses and the prophets. If they won't hear them, then there's nothing that's going to change them. This is the word of God. Verse 19, this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. 
We are talking about men coming to Jesus Christ and believing on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is the light of the world. We've already been taught that in the first few verses of John chapter 1. We're going to be taught that again several times in the chapters that follow this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is perfect holiness, perfect conduct, perfect character, perfect preaching, everything exposed. Listen, I sent you, I sent those updates that I send you by the grace of God. He convicts me about things. I keep track of them for the days leading up to each update. I sent and told you and asked you and exhorted you to have a vision of God. Because of verses like Psalm 4.4 that says, Stand in awe and sin not. The better the vision you have of God and His holiness and the glory of Christ, the more that you will change your life to please Him. I gave you examples of Moses who who hid his face from the holiness of God coming out of that burning bush. I gave you Job, where Job said, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I gave you Peter, that when Peter pulled up that net on his ship with all those fishes that Jesus had given him on the other side of the boat, he said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. I gave you Isaiah, woe is me, from a man of unclean lips. I gave you John, the best friend of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on earth, He fell at his feet as dead. That's getting a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is holiness. He is purity. He is righteousness. His preaching was that way. His conduct was that way. His character was that way. And when we preach Christ, we preach his holiness. We preach his character. We preach his conduct. And men don't want to hear that because their deeds are evil. They want to keep their evil deeds. They don't want to lose them in the brilliant, shining, blasting light of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And this is the condemnation. This is is what happens. This is what condemns men in the secondary way that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Does it say that they love darkness more than light? No, it says they love darkness rather than light Because the next verse is going to tell us, what do they really think about light? They hate the light. Ah, what a gospel we have. And what a savior we have. Do you know what it says repeatedly in this gospel? And there was a division among the people because of him. Amen. Now, if the Holy Spirit can repeat it, I can repeat it. And there was a division among the people because of him. And there was a division among the people because of him. Amen. If the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't divide families and divide friends and divide people, then you're not preaching the Jesus Christ of the Bible. There is another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel. And those people can all hang together and live any way they want to because there's no light shining in that place. But when the Jesus Christ of the Bible is preached, and when the Jesus Christ of the Bible is believed, it does separate Because men have evil deeds that they do not want exposed. And this is the condemnation. This is what causes men not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That light, because he is the light of the world. He is light. He is the purity of God's holiness and righteousness. And he came into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Verse 20. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Why don't men, why didn't men want to come to Jesus Christ? 
because they were evil men. They had all their secret sins that they wanted to keep. They didn't want to give them up. Being around that perfect standard of righteousness and holiness condemned them, so they avoided him. If we preach Jesus Christ properly and we hold the high standards of the holiness of God's word, not very many people are going to want to be members of this church. Let's not change a thing. We do not want to water anything down to get more in the door. If anything, we want the higher ground of greater holiness and help a few find the door that are already inside. We do not want to compromise the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to present a Jesus Christ that John, Peter, Isaiah, Job, Moses would fall down before. And you know, if they fell down, you know, I just, did I just give you some pretty big names in the Bible? Are those some pretty big names? Guess where you and I ought to be? Underneath them. Because they're falling down on top of us. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. That's why they don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Amen. God is not in all his thoughts. Why? Because of pride. Pride. He thinks he's special. He thinks no one can tell him what to do. I'm going to do it my way. Ever hear that song come out of Hollywood and Las Vegas? Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Where's Frankie now? He's learned about someone else's way. Let's learn someone else's way right now. The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And everything he said, let's love it. Let's embrace it. Let's do it. Let's teach it. Let's defend it. Let's require it. Let's enforce it. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. By nature man is committed to doing evil in every part of his life. Romans chapter 3. Therefore his reaction to the light of Christ's gospel is the evidence of his reprobation. They hate the light. Notice the enmity. He that is in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8 verses 7 and 8 tell us. Who's memorizing Romans 8? Somebody want to give me verses 7 and 8 since my mind failed me? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Why? Where did that come from? That carnal mind that we have is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There is an enmity there. Described in Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. It's described in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, where it says the spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit, and these two are contrary the one to the other, so that she cannot do the things that she would. There is a war going on inside of us because we hate the light in our old man. But was there a part of you that wanted to be here today? Was there a part of you that wanted to be here today, that wanted to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, that wanted to hear these verses and words of his explained, and to embrace him and to sing to him and to pray to him? Was there? Let it be the dominating part of us. Let's starve the other dog. Let's not call the new man a dog. That's why I don't use illustrations or metaphors. It is important to remember that depravity is not of intelligence, but rather of motive. 
Please understand that. Some people, when they hear us talk about total depravity, are you saying that man's not intelligent, that he can't invent stuff, that he can't make a better mousetrap when he wants to? No, we're not saying that. Man's intelligence is sufficient to supposedly get a man on the moon. I don't really believe they're witness of men. I believe the witness of God is greater. Forgive me for being so uh, such a stick in the mud about current events like that. Yes, I think they got there. But, oh, I believe the witness of God is greater. Amen. Does it take quite a bit of intelligence to consider the, the revolutions of the earth and its rotation and its revolving, you know, and so forth and so on, the moon and it moving around the earth, and to put a man on the moon? Does it take a little bit of intelligence to do that? Yes. God bless man to be able to figure that out because there are other men in other parts of the world still doing this to get supper. And that's a monkey supper. Because God makes those differences, okay? But, but what I want to go after is when you talk about total depravity and someone says, are you saying that man doesn't have any intelligence? Look at what he's able to... No! We're saying he has a heart that hates God. We're saying he has a heart that hates the light. We're saying he won't come to the light because he doesn't want his deeds reproved. We're saying that 10-4. I want to quote 10-4 again from James this morning. The wicked through the pride of his countenance. It doesn't say through the lack of intelligence. It says through the pride of his countenance. This is important. Men get confused about what we mean about total depravity. We mean that their motives and their will is totally corrupt. We don't mean that they don't have intelligence. Intelligence does them no good because it puffs up their pride even more. Can you see it in here? This is total depravity. This is the condemnation. Light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light. Do you know how this was presented to us in verses 4 and 5? Of chapter 1, as John got started, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Darkness does not comprehend the glory and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. They can only see an enemy. They can only see a stumbling block. They can only see foolishness that does not measure up to the wisdom of the Greeks of Athens. They can only see someone inferior to David that doesn't measure up to the king of their history books. They do not see the Lord of glory. They do not see the Savior from sin. They do not see the destroyer of death. They do not see the king of kings because they don't want to. They hate him because he reproves their evil deeds. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Who here doesn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Who here that believes on him hasn't been baptized? Who here that believes on him and has been baptized is not living for him? Do you know what these verses are saying about you? The pride of your countenance is like the wicked. You're trying to hide evil deeds. You don't want to be reproved. You don't want to come to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of his gospel, the glorious light of his gospel. Oh, Lord, help us. There are two faults here. The fault of perverse hatred of the light of God and the Son, Jesus Christ, and the resulting actions. Contrast regeneration and what God's done. Who hath worked in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. We love the light 
and we go to the light. And where did that come from? God worked it in us. What should we be doing as we part company? Working out our salvation with fear and trembling is the previous verse in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. That's why the, the volume, that's why the updates, that's why Wednesday night, I want to die like Simeon. Shane, do you still want to die like Simeon? Had a great conversation with him at halftime. Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace. I have seen thy salvation. All he saw was a little baby. Do you know what we've seen? We've seen everything. Had Simeon seen his eyes like a flame of fire? Had Simeon seen his feet like burning brass? Had Simeon heard his voice like the sound of many waters and a trumpet waxing louder and louder? Do we have all that? We're on this side of the cross and on this side the completed revelation of God. Do you know what we've heard? And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and my favorite, received up into glory. Amen. Have we read all the details about of being received up into glory? Jerry, you still like Revelation chapter 5? That's the details of him being received up into glory. Where's the details on the bottom side? Acts chapter 1. The 11 11 apostles are staring up into the clouds as Jesus levitates out of their sight. Two angels come down and say, Men of Galilee, what are you doing staring up into the sky? This same Jesus which is taken up from you is going to come in the same way. That was him leaving. Revelation 5 was him arriving. Do you know how much more we've seen? You afraid of dying? There's something wrong in your life. Confess your sins and fall down before the Lord Jesus Christ and run to his light. Expose yourself. Confess everything. Don't have a single secret. God's going to bring every secret work into judgment. He's going to bring every work into judgment with every secret thing according to the word of God. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. Confess it all. Do you you know how wonderful it is? Having his light expose it all, to confess it all, to have him reach out and say to John, stand up, brother, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. That's the next verse in Revelation chapter 1. If you'll confess your sins, you can come before him and say, Lord, what I don't see, show me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. James gave us, James has been work, looking at Psalm 10 for months, yeah. but he gave us about thoughts today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you know what kind of a man that is? It's a verse 21 man. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. He's doing them to God, for God, by God, with God. They are wrought in God because God has made the change in us to work that we would will and do his good pleasure. Verses 19 through 21 are explaining why some believe and some don't in verse 18. The order is all here. There is nothing inconsistent whatsoever with everything that we believe about salvation. 
From the very first word of the first chapter, John introduced us and took us step by step. We're born again, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot even see. And when you don't believe, you're already condemned because you're condemned by Adam and by your own sins. It's all there in order. There's no baptism in John 3, 5. We're not born again by being baptized. Our doctrine of salvation stands absolutely sure, impregnable, insurmountable on the holy word of God. But what matters more is the evidence for each of our lives. If John were here, he would say, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. I exhort you, as his least ambassador, believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God, and run to his light, and confess your sins, and strip yourself, and have no secret sins, Men, you will not want to come Wednesday night. Confess your secret sins and run to the light and embrace that Savior, that Lord Jesus Christ, and believe that he forgives us immediately through his faithfulness and justness of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to say, woe is me. We know the Savior. We don't have to say, depart from me, for I'm a wicked man, O Lord. Because we have a Savior. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll pick you up and say, walk with me. Walk in my light. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Let's walk in the light with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's run to him. Strip yourself. Bury yourself before him. You know what? You're already stripped and bared. Right. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Just do it actively. Run to him and confess. Tear it all down. Get all the idols out of your life. Kill your agags. This is more important than knowing our doctrine right. I'd rather be doing truth than all of you doing truth with me. And coming to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel and have a few things wrong doctrinally than to have them all right doctrinally and playing a game with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's condemnation coming, and I want that counselor to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Yes, Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saved, you're being saved, and you shall be saved. Right. Amen.